Welcome to the World of Foundational Horror Podcast. I'm Mom, aka Christina. This is the podcast where I take a tour of classic international horror. On the main pod, Mac and I choose a genre or subgenre from horror and parent international film with an American one. With these minis, I want to fill in the gaps of my own knowledge and find those foundational films that have influenced and inspired modern horror. The only rules for this project is that the movie has to have been made before the year 2000, and it must not have been made in the U.S. The two films for today are The Queen of Black Magic slash Ratu Ilmuhitam from Indonesia and Kuroneko slash Yabono Naka no Kuroneko, A Black Cat in a Bamboo Grove, or simply The Black Cat from Japan. There will be spoilers for both films. So I saw The Queen of Black Magic... A while ago, I know there was a remake in, I think, 2019. I did not see this one. The one I'm referring to is the original from 1981. It's a revenge plot where the titular queen has been accused of using black magic. She's thrown over a cliff and, you know, uh, left for dead. But a strange man rescues her and actually does teach her about black magic. He tells her that she must master black magic in order to exact vengeance on her tormentors. For this movie, I looked at an article in Diabolique magazine by Nina Doherty or Nina Doherty. I don't know how they pronounce their name, but it's N-I-I-N-A Doherty. It stars Susanna W.D. Mukhtar, Teddy Purba, Sophia W.D. and Alan Ori. It was released in 1981 and it has a runtime of straight up hour 30. We start with parade drums and a discordant horn. We're preparing for a wedding. I don't know. There's this just strange visual that serves as a bad omen. There are maggots on the noodles, sort of a la Lost Boys, if you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it doesn't matter. The bride sees the groom as a skeleton, and she has a fit. It's about to rain, and the rain shaman starts to levitate. We're in this world where there's obviously a lot of supernatural forces at work. So Baida, who is the bride, is having a freak out. She thinks the flowers are worms, and she sees snakes hanging from the bed frame. And it's a pretty cool visual because it's like a canopy bed, but it's got these uh, it's got these snakes sort of all over the place. A shaman is praying. A great wind comes. He is tossed into the air and he vomits blood. And he says, at the west. And he points and he dies. And so Kohar, who's the groom, he's like, Murni, she lives in the west, so it must be her. Which I think you could call this a genetic fallacy which says that something is bad just because of where it comes from or a false cause. I don't know. I was looking for fallacies. This guy, Kohar, is full of them. So he organizes the people. So Myrnie is asking forgiveness from her mom for succumbing to Kohar's advances in the past. And mom says, you know, let's give it to Allah. Kohar and the men bust in and accuse her of practicing black magic. Kohar slaps her across the face and has men drag her away as the mother looks on in horror. The villagers are hitting her, knocking her around. Mom begs for mercy and Kohar 
backhands her. They set the house on fire. So I didn't plan it this way, but both movies I'm going to talk about today involve vengeance and involve a house being set on fire. Mother faints. Kohar tells the men to throw Murni over the cliff, and they do. And then she is literally caught by an old man who lays her on a bed inside. And she's like, who are you? And he says, you're in the house of someone who doesn't hate you. You're free from the torture of those evil people. And then we have a flashback to a happier time when Kohar was making love to her. And he said he loved her. And because he loved her, it was okay to sleep with her. But she was a virgin. And it was sort of inside this gazebo thingy. And she's kind of disappointed. But he says it's all okay. They'll get married soon. But flashback to the present, she's telling an old man, the old man, her story. And he tells her she must get revenge and she must use black magic and curse all the people. And she says, no, no, no. She wants to leave it to Allah to sort things out. And he says, don't mention that name here. And he says he'll teach her black magic to get revenge. And then there's kind of this cool shot where they're on this. There are silhouettes of their bodies and she's flipping in slow motion backwards against this huge like full moon and his house is it's an interesting place kind of looks like i don't know if you've ever been to madame tussauds in new orleans but it's kind of got that vibe a lot of vines hanging around um his house is lit by these torches and then he has this big vat and he ladles this bloody juice over her head he cuts her hair he gives her bangs and then there's a lot of voodoo doll action in this film. And he ties a string to the dick of the Kohar doll. And it has a direct effect on the real Kohar. So Myrna goes into town and the men are nervous when they see her because they think they thought she was dead. So they're talking amongst themselves. Maybe that's her ghost. And they say, no, I mean, her feet are on the ground. It's the middle of the day. So it must be her, and she turns slowly to look at them, and she stares at them, and they run away. And she runs into them. It's kind of this kind of thing where they run away from her, and then, ah, and she sicks all these bees on this one guy, and he's killed by them. The second man, I think his name is Darmo, he runs to Kohar. And Kohar says he's not afraid, and fellows are having this conversation. Maybe they're all doomed because they did such a bad thing. Marnie confronts another man outside this restaurant. She has a doll. She squeezes the doll and the same thing happens to him. So it's as if all of his insides are being squeezed out. That's pretty great. Blood squirts from his arms and face. So Marnie's mother calls Kohar a devil and a liar. And he hits her. What is this guy's deal? He keeps hitting this lady and he tells her to shut her mouth. And then another man though says, you can't hit an old woman. And Kohar says, well, her daughter practiced black magic and she must too. So this is a hasty generalization because just because, well, it's not even true that she did at the time, but let's just say she practiced black magic. That's not to say that her mother also would practice black magic. You could also call this a guilt by association fallacy, 
or again, a genetic fallacy. So the head man, who's kind of like, I think, like the chief of the town, the head man, they call him, says they have to follow the law. And Kohar says that, well, black magic is not a lawful thing. So no, we don't have to follow the law. And the villagers agree with him. And uh, I don't know, I think, I mean, the only one I could think of for this one is the two wrongs fallacy. Back at the creepy, viney house with the old man, he didn't say to kill anybody. He just said to like, you know, fuck them up, but not don't kill people. And also told her that her mom is dead. And he says that everyone gets what they deserve, but she doesn't listen. Then we have a death on the rice paddy. I liked this one. The guy gets sucked under and others run to him. But when he's pulled out, he's bloody and he's muddy and he has snakes all over him. It's kind of like, uh, I actually haven't seen this movie yet, but I always see pictures of it. The, the zombie two picture, the Fulci zombie two picture. He's got snakes like crawling out of his mouth. It's pretty great. So then she meets another man and she tosses her scarf at him and he's hanged by the scarf in a tall tree. She goes to where Kohar's wife is nursing the baby. And when the mother sets the baby in the bassinet, Murni, she levitates the baby and makes it come float to her. And she takes it home to where she's living with this old man. And the baby's in the swing made of snakes. And she has the baby nurse from her and she has a fantasy that Kohar is there too, but it's an illusion. It's actually the old man in her fantasy. And he tells her to give back the baby. A man from the city comes and says, it seems like everyone is very suspicious. And he says he was born in this village, but he's been living in the city. He goes to this place, I can't remember the name of this building, but just like a holy, a place to worship kind of a building. And a man tells him, a villager tells him that holy verses don't work on black magic and that he should go. So the city man decides to stay and he prays in the abandoned holy building. The old man casts a spell and makes the roof cave in. The city man sits still and continues to pray. And his stillness and his, I guess, faith and holiness makes the old man, who's, you know, miles away, fly across the room. The baby is returned, but with a flower necklace around its neck. So the old man's at a bar and the city man is sort of talking to him. And the old man tells him that he should leave. The old man gives the warning, if you make one wrong step, it'll cost you your life. Villagers march around with torches. Murni twists her scarf and it causes a wind and everyone runs away except Kohar. She makes a rotten egg levitate and smash against his neck. <laughs> and then he scratches at it and it becomes bloody. He crawls to her and he begs her to forgive him. She kicks him down a hill. So the villagers go to the headman and they're not sure what to do. Kohar stumbles back into the gathering and he pulls his own head off. And that was pretty nice. Uh, yeah, I have in my notes, pretty great. The religious guy uh, grabs the head and, and, he, and the head makes him fly. So he's sort of flying around with his head. And then he uh, sets that head back down on Kohar's body. 
He says he doesn't have black magic, but that every evil can be defeated if people believe in Allah and they start to rebuild the Surau. I guess that's the name of the building. Myrna is happy. She thinks that Kohar is dead. And the old man tells her that now she has to kill everyone, even the ones who indirectly killed her mother. So this is interesting, too, because this is another similarity between this movie and Koroneko, um, which I didn't anticipate. But it's kind of cool when things like that happen. She wants to leave, but he, he tells her she'll be even more miserable. No one will want her. You know, her reputation will follow her. And so she's screwed. He says she has to continue until the headman kneels before them, and then they will rule the village together. So she's like, oh, I get it. Like, you have this vendetta against the headman, and that's what this has been all about. And he tells her that the magic he taught her will eat her up if she doesn't use it on someone else. She's bathing in the spring, but the clothes that she's laid on a rock float down the river. And the religious guy gets the clothes and gives them back to her. And it's a very sweet little scene. He he gives her these fish that he caught. And he says his name is Permana. She tells him a different name than her own name. And that will be important a little bit later. And when Mernie gets home, he, she tells the old man that she wants to stop doing wrong. He does some voodoo on the head man. And he's making something grow inside him. So the headman is on a bed and his just like his belly is just like growing and growing and growing. And everybody says, go get Permana. So Permana asks the, the belly man to pray with him. And he places his hand on the belly and he squeezes it. And this makes the old man fly off his perch. Later on, Permana is fishing. And Myrny, who had introduced herself as Saruni, has brought a basket for him, for the fish and stuff. She falls in in the water. He carries her to shore. She wants to kiss him, but he's not about that. He doesn't want to kiss anybody until he's married to them, which is fortunate because of what we learn later. Darmo sees them and suspects they are working together to curse the village. But this time... The villagers want proof because last time when they didn't have proof about Myrny's culpability, things went very awry. Myrny now says she's going to marry Pramana in the city. And the old man puts a spell on Baida to lust after Pramana. So there's just almost like a sitcom type scene where uh, Baida is trying to kiss <laughs> Parmana and it's very, it's very extreme. She's basically, she's like literally throwing herself at him, but he keeps deferring. But of course, Myrny sees this from a distance and thinks they're having an affair. So she flips out, destroying things in the old man's house and saying that all men are liars, men are animals. And Myrny says tonight she will kill every single person in the village. So people are gathered around this table and this light ball comes through the window where the men are praying and sets one man on fire. Pramana tells the men to pray and says he will face everyone who is coming for them. She tells him that she is not Saruni, she's a Murni, and she shoots fire at him. He reveals 
that he is Cleowan, her big brother. She was too young to remember when he went away all those years ago. The old man is telling her, don't listen to him. And he has a voodoo doll and he puts this huge boulder on the doll. But Cleowan explodes the boulder and the old man goes flying. So he runs to her and he takes her in his arms and she says, we are all just actors in this stage of life. And she realizes he is her older brother. The old man throws this giant needle at Permana slash Cleowan and approaches with a knife. But the men are finally wise to his ways. And the old man says all he ever wanted is the headman title. So he wants to fight the headman, but Myrnia and Permana do this contortion thingy. And um, yeah, like there's a picture, I can put it on social media, but you might've seen it where she's sort of sitting cross-legged, like a, in a lotus position, but she's pulling her, I wish, and I wish I could do this. I'm not that flexible, but she's pulling her foot basically up and that, I don't know, that has magical powers. So the old man starts to spurt blood and then his head explodes. Myrnie starts to have fits. She dies in her brother's arms. And then, like, no delay at all. The end. And that's that's the end of the movie. Well, it's just interesting from a cultural standpoint. I've never been to Indonesia. And one of the cool things about watching international film is you get at least a picture into a culture. So I thought that was neat. And I also find that different mythologies... Are interesting. So I, I liked this one a lot. I thought it was pretty cool. And then after I saw Kuroneko, I found these connections. And like I said, they were completely unintentional, but it's kind of neat the way it turned out. Now I'd like to turn to Kuroneko. This is a 1968 Japanese horror film directed by Kanito Shindo. And it is an adaptation of a supernatural folk tale. It's set during a civil war in feudal Japan. And the film's plot concerns the vengeful spirits, or onryo, of a woman and her daughter-in-law who died at the hands of a band of samurai. I had never heard of this film, and I'm in love with it. I think I've seen it like four times, and I will gladly watch it anytime. It's beautiful, and it's in black and white. And I know a lot of people are like loath to watch something in black and white, but uh, I would give this one a shot. Because it's just so beautiful and the shadows and the lighting and everything is just really, really amazing. The story is engaging enough to keep your attention. But I, I mean, I'm kind of just here for the beauty of it. It's just like kind of mesmerizing. So there's that. But there's also, I heard that the director was a socialist. And so that makes a whole lot of sense to me because I don't really understand a lot about the hierarchies in the society. but. I do know from listening to other podcasts and doing some research that after the women turn into ghosts, their dress is elevated. And so there's all this stuff when we get a little later on in the movie with with the general and with the governor and stuff. You can just definitely tell that there are these levels in the society and that Shindo is not into it. (laughs) It's like, this system is fucked. And we need to do away with it. So I really, I just kind of appreciate that because I'm of the same mindset. So story opens and there's just a still camera 
we see the house and we see the woods and the men kind of pile out of the woods, the samurai, and they, they just, they just drop, you know, at this stream that's outside the house. And they're just like, you know, gobbling up this water for dear life. And they go inside the house and they grab some food and, you know, they're, they're gobbling that up too. And then they rape the women. And I did not know that was going to happen, but it happens. It's very rough. And there's a really grim moment where the women are being raped and there's a man who's eating a piece of fruit or something, and he's just watching it happen. And all the other men are just sort of standing around and it's horrible. And then they leave and they spill back into the forest. And then we see the smoke come and they have set the house on fire and the women burn up in the fire. When we see their bodies, they, they don't look all that messed up. Clear that they have been affected by the smoke and the fire, but they're laying there in the, you know, on the kind of the skeleton of the house and this black cat comes and he kind of licks them and, and sits like lays on their chests. And so what I kind of like about this movie is even though I'm like a complete dummy when it comes to this stuff, I do not know the mythology, but that's okay. Even I can get it that there's a connection between the women and this cat and the images that, he uses reinforce that. And it's just really cool. I don't need to know exactly how it works, but somehow the, the cat spirit is like mixed up with these, these women. I listened to a couple podcasts that I wanted to mention. One was called the criterion correction. This was episode 79 from October of 2017. I also listened to dismembering horror episode 158 from September 2021. I watched, I found this YouTube channel that I just love. It's called the Pillbox Movies and Hank is the host and he's fucking delightful. He watches movies and he does this kind of like watch long thing and he comments on them. And um, I just loved his reaction to this movie, but that video is from October of last year. This movie was written and directed by Kenito Shindo. It starred Kichi Eimon Nakamura as Gentoki, Nobuko Otowa as the mother Yone, and Ki, Kiwako Taichi as Shige, the daughter-in-law. It was released on February the 24th, 1968 in Japan, and it has a running time of 99 minutes. This plot is pretty simple. So we get the rape and the murder of these two women. Then they return as ghosts, and these ghosts are pretty much like people they're they're not like like they're not like like you know western ghosts at all and they have the appearance of um they're wearing they're wearing the clothes of like ladies like courtly people and they they just (laughs) get into this pattern of getting these samurai guys to like come back to the house and they give them tea and they seduce them and then they kill them and the way they kill them is they um eat their throats out. So that, that goes on for a bit. (laughs) And it's kind of cool. Like when the, when Shige is, is, you know, seducing the guys and everything or getting them drunk, the mother is doing this 
dance. And it it's just like, it's just so beautiful. There's also a lot of wire work in this and um, uh, really cool like effects of people like flipping in the air and stuff. While all this is going on in Northern Japan, there is a battle taking place. And this one guy, Hachi, kills the enemy general and he brings the severed head back. It's kind of cool. He like has it behind his back or something. And then he like, ah, he like shows it <laughs> to the governor. And the governor is like, uh, you're my guy. He tells the governor that he was fighting under the name Gintoki. So they say, okay, now that's like officially your name. And he's made a samurai. And there's this transitional part where um, when he comes out of the woods, he's like all scraggly and his hair's all matted. And he looks disgusting, but then, then like bucket after bucket of water is just like poured over him. And he just gradually becomes, you know, less like a beast and more like a civilized man, but he's samurai, right? And we know that they're not civilized, despite what they may look like. So he goes looking for his mother and his wife and he finds that the house has been burned down and the women are missing. And the governor tells him to find and destroy the ghosts who are killing all the samurai. Gintoki finds Yone and Shige. And he is like, you guys look a lot like my mom and my wife. And they're like, no, we're not them. He has sex with the woman. And so the governor tells him to find and destroy the ghosts who are killing all the samurai. And Gintoki encounters the women and he realizes that they are actually his wife and his mother and they have made a pact with the underworld to to kill samurai in revenge for their deaths all samurai but now gintoki is a samurai so this is this is a problem shige breaks the pact but she sleeps with gintoki for seven seven days seven nights and the deal we find out later is that she promised the spirits of the underworld that she would go to hell and she would remain there for all eternity if she could just have this one week with her beloved. Uh, so that kind of got me. But he goes back to the governor and he's like, well, I killed one of the ghosts. And then he goes back and he sees his mother. It's kind of a cool effect because... He looks down in this puddle. So when he looks in her face, she looks like his mother. But then when he looks down in the puddle, the reflection shows that she's uh, a ghost. And he attacks her with a sword and he cuts off her arm. When her arm falls off, it's not a human arm. It's a cat arm. It's like a large, it's like a human-sized cat arm. So he brings the limb back to the governor. And he says, ha-ha, you know, I've killed the last ghost. And the governor's really happy. He says, Gintoki will be remembered as a hero. But first, he has to complete seven days of ritual purification. While this is happening, his mom comes and she claims to be sent by the emperor to ward off evil spirits. And she tricks him into giving her arm back. And then she flies through the ceiling. And that's pretty great. So he's really upset. And he just like staggers through the woods and he goes back to the cottage where he met the ghost and he collapses and all the walls disappear. And now he's in his family home, which is the, you know, the charred remains of his family home. And 
he just kind of lies down and dies. And then the snow falls on him. And then it just, this quiet, the snow is just quietly falling on him. And that's the last image of the film, except that we hear a cat (laughs) meowing in the distance. And there, there was, you know, there's just a couple other things with the cat, you know, earlier on in the movie. One of my favorites is the mom's hair kind of does this little swish like a cat's tail at one point. This movie has changed me. <laughs> I I love it. I really love it. I hope you will check it out because it's just freaking amazing. And there are lots of interpretations that go a lot deeper. If you're interested, it's on the Criterion channel and there's some commentary and explanation of the film there. So I encourage you to look at that commentary if you want to learn more about this film and, you know, there, there's lots of other stuff out there about his other two, like, huge films. And I will definitely be watching those because I am a fan for life now. Well, host, thank you for tuning into this mini. I am really having fun with this series, and I hope you are too. Coming up, I'm planning some shows about doctors and about witches. Get in touch and let me know how you feel about this series. And if you have any suggestions for these minis or for the main show, Or if you have a movie that means the world of horror to you and you'd like to talk about it on the show, drop me a line because I'd love to have that conversation with you. We've had conversations about The Thing and upcoming we have shows about David Lynch films and about the animated classic Coraline. It's just really fun to see what people choose and we're having a lot of fun with that too. So if you want to be a part of that, please get in touch. And on the main show, Mac has chosen Killers for his genre pick. And we're going to be looking at Ichi the Killer from Japan and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer from the U.S. And then later on in the month, we're doing movies about possession. And I'm going to finally get to talk about Possessor with Mac and also talk about this Korean film called Metamorphosis. You know, there are some problems with it, but I still really, really like it. I think there's a lot of good stuff that goes on in that one. Anyway, that's enough. (laughs) It's a mini. Remember, wohos, we love you. And don't go into the basement.